Hello, Guitar Smarts listeners. This is an important announcement. Please don't skip ahead. We start this podcast with a special message. Way back in 2021, Guitar Smarts had the pleasure of interviewing the utterly fantastic Matt Long. Matt is a multiple award-winning British blues guitarist and lead singer of the British blues band Catfish and hard rock outfit The Revenant Ones. He joined us for episode number 20 and was a truly gracious guest who spoke about his career, his childhood, guitars and meetings his hero, Joe Bonamassa. Well, Matt needs your help. Through 2023, Matt has been undergoing treatment for bowel cancer, and his recent prognosis has meant that to extend his life and retain a chance of survival, he needs to seek private treatment outside of the NHS. Matt's family have set up a GoFundMe page that is linked in the Guitar Smarts link tree in the description of this podcast. And we at the Guitar Smarts podcast would like to invite each and every listener to consider donating towards this fund that could well save the life of one of the brightest guitar talents of our generation. Now is the time, folks. Head on over to the link in the description to find the GoFundMe page. Donate what you can. Your donation could save a life. Thank you. Enjoy the podcast. I'm excited though for next year, Matt, when the Murphy Lab will take it to the next level and uh, bring out a 59 Les Paul that's had its headstock snapped off and then repaired <laughs> and, and refinished by Tom Murphy. So I, I'm looking forward to paying £15,000 for, uh, you know, an accurate 59 headstock broken, but Murphy Lab yeah. repaired, repaired uh, guitar fr- fresh from the custom shop. I, well, I, I think, I think really, Fender I'm are doing the same thing, aren't they? I think they're doing a Monterey. Jimi Hendrix strap which when you open up the case it's just a pile of ash with a, with a neck kind of sat to one side <laughs> that's going to be 12 here. grand believe oh, it or well, not that's 12 grand well spent Greetings! Welcome to another episode of the Guitar Smarts Podcast. Thanks very much for joining us. This week, Kieran and I are talking about our influences and our idols, who it is that made us want to pick up the guitar in the first place, and then also who else made us have a, a new impetus for playing guitar in our lives. Who else has been our influences? And there's not just the first one, there's many influences through our life, and we're discussing who those people have been for us. And as well as that, we're having a bit of a rant. So Kieran and I are going to have a good old shout about the Gibson Murphy Lab guitars and what we think about them. Stick around for that because it's a good one. Come and say hello to us on our social media pages. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash guitar smarts and on Instagram as well. Instagram handle is at guitar underscore smarts. Remember to like us in your podcast app so you never miss a show and you can look forward to more content from us every week on Mondays. Anyway, let's get to it. How are you doing, Kieran? You all right, Matt? I'm really good, mate. Uh, as as I said just before we started, I'm questioning all my life choices, and it's been one of those weeks where you just think, "Oh, maybe I should just go and live on a desert island and live off the land," because uh, that's probably what life is all about. But but no, for my sins, I'll carry on working because there's there's always bills to be paid. But. Uh, yeah, I don't want to get too depressing. I'm in a good mood. I'm actually in a good mood. <laughs> Sorry. Well, don't forget, <laughs> a desert island's not a bad place to be, especially considering episode three and four of this podcast, we covered uh, desert island guitar rigs. <laughs> nice, nice link. <laughs> Terrible segue. Terrible. Anyway. I, know, I loved it. No, no, it's yeah. brilliant. That's absolutely right. Uh, yeah, I would. I quite fancy being on that desert island, uh, especially as we've had some freak weather this this week in uh, in the UK. So we've had, a, we've had uh, all the weather, all the weather that's available all. to us. We've had it. <laughs> can, can you imagine being a weatherman, like, or weather lady, or woman, or weather person? I don't know what the cor- correct term is. Uh, Meteorologist. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh man, I'm feeling special today. I'm really feeling special today. Thank you, mate. Yeah, meteorologist. Let's just call it what 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 its yeah. professional professional name is. That's that's better. Let's uh, let's call let's let's call a spade a spade. Okay. Yeah. No, <laughs> let's, let's let's call a meteorologist a meteorologist. meteorologist. Yes. <laughs> Snow, sunshine, rain, all within the space of. 48 hours. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Amazing. In, in fact, Amazing. In some, on some days we had snow, sunshine, rain, sunshine, snow within the space of about 15 <laughs> minutes, let alone a week. And it was unbelievable. Uh, and the people listening in the US, of, of which we have many, thankfully, um, 
and very gratefully uh will be wondering why are we why are we talking about weather like this is a, this is a very british thing right you you yes. very rarely start any conversation without some sort of discussion around the weather uh so yeah th- th- unless <laughs> unless you're a meteorologist and then they probably don't i don't know <laughs> no that's, that's anyway the day, that's the day job <laughs> wow so have you How found you? much time for guitar this week I have, mate. Yeah, I have actually. Uh, I've been inspired to do some some more playing this week. Um, uh, just from from our conversations, really, um, and seeing some of the things that you'd put up on on Instagram and uh, on our on our kind of podcast website, uh, Matt, of your playing, and also on your own uh, site, which were just actually I really enjoyed listening to them. And you, you've kind of held true to your word about pushing yourself in some practicing and some playing that you're looking to focus on. And I thought. Oh wow, damn it, he's really committing and doing this stuff that we're talking about. <laughs> so I was like, right, I need to, I need to do this. So yeah, I've been trying to push myself as well and, and uh yeah, do do some more playing and learn some songs that have been a bit challenging. Uh so this this week's challenge for myself was uh the Dry County solo uh from Bon Jovi, uh one of Sambora's finest that I've always been a little bit afraid to attempt. But um yeah, I'm getting into it and it's and it's starting to sound passable now. So yeah. Uh, it's been a good week. It's been a good week for, for guitar playing. Awesome. I, I mean, and I haven't had really much chance, to be honest, to play it, except for a little bit of noodling around here and there. Uh, but what I have done, actually, and um, I guess our listeners can't see this, but what I did is I bought on Amazon, I bought some, do you know, like some cue cards or some, like, you know, these little cards that you use for kind of, maybe you're writing speeches or you're learning things and you have little cue cards. So I bought some on Amazon and what I've done on them is on one side of the card, I've written like the name of a chord, A major. Oh, yeah. yeah and on yeah, the other yeah. side, I've got like the notes that make up A major and then what the seventh or the other extensions would be Ooh, from the major scale. Okay. And I'm just trying to spend a bit of time every so often just looking at a card, A major, and going, okay, that would be A, C sharp, and E for the third and the fifth. And then checking on the other side, yeah, okay. And I'm just trying to That's great. get... So this is kind of going back to what I said previously about trying to learn the chords before I learn the solo mm. and trying to mm. understand more about harmony than I do about, you know, melody or scales and things like that. And I'm just trying to reinforce in my mind my knowledge of chords and of harmony and just trying to get it sat in there so I can, again, it's about trying to learn the fretboard a little bit more. So, yeah. So oh, I've been doing you, that. Man. Who have you been listening to this week? Anyone you anyone that's kind of, you're really kind of into this week? Toto. <laughs> When is it no? When is it not Toto? Yes, I don't. I don't know if I'm going to be able to climb out of this uh, wow. this hole that Ollie Browning very you know well pointed <laughs> out. You are deep in. You are deep in his tambo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm deep in there. Man. I'm stuck. I think maybe a black hole. I'm past the event horizon. I don't know. But, oh my um, goodness. Uh, yeah, just still listening to a lot of kind of um, yacht rock. I guess some people would call it. You know, a lot of that eighties late 70s kind of stuff um stuff that i guess you could say is a little bit more um kind of sophisticated but i'm enjoying listening to anything really that's quite sophisticated harmony wise um but i'm not really getting into jazz or anything yet um i kind of feel like that's a risky thing to do i think i should just concentrate (laughs) on stuff that i'm enjoying now and let that you know carry on for a bit but yeah other than that um just just uh just i mean i'm obviously i'm working at home so i've got spotify on a lot of the time just listening to whatever comes on so yeah good there's a uh there's a spotify playlist then that you'll enjoy called called yacht rock <laughs> oh i'm all over it I'm all oh you've over got it. that one you've yeah, got that absolutely. one <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say that's definitely a playlist for you um which yeah, uh, yeah which has got some great some good some great tracks oh yeah some really yeah tracks. some superb tracks so yeah, listening wise, uh, I was just listening actually uh, before we we started chatting today to uh, Joey Landreth uh, on, oh. on YouTube uh, because well one because I was just doing a little bit more reading up on on some new Les Pauls that have come out from Gibson uh, oh, in, in the last gosh. week which we're which we're <laughs> which we're gonna have a, a, a chat about. Uh, I can see your head in your hands already, um, and <sighs> actually in the process of just looking looking up some of that stuff on uh, on youtube uh, earlier this week 
<clears throat> I stumbled across some sessions that Joey Lander th- had done uh, for, I think it's um, Carter's Guitar Center. Or oh, forgive me if I've got that wrong, but I think it's um, Carter's Vintage Guitars, isn't it? I thank think. you. I think, oh, you've yeah. seen them as well. I, see, I think yeah. I've seen some. Yeah, because there's a few other guitarists that have done some videos for them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He's and ridiculous, like a, Joey Lander. Oh, isn't he? Just. Uh, it's not fair. It's not fair. It isn't yeah. fair. <laughs> No, no, it really isn't. I mean, he's he's clearly talented beyond measure. He he's he's obviously made a mark in the guitar world, and for very good reason. And you just and it just he just makes it look effortless. And you just go, oh, you know what? I'm gonna go and take up fly fishing this week instead. I think it's just. Yeah. <laughs> but but actually, what I would say is the his facility on the guitar and the tone that he's got. I actually found it quite quite inspiring to watch, but uh, also equally mesmerising. Where you just go, ah, oh, yeah, I'm, I, it's going to be a it's going to be a while before I can try and replicate some of that stuff. But yeah, really inspiring, really inspiring stuff. And we're going to talk about people that inspire us later today. But so, Matt. <laughs> Gibson, Gibson. Uh, uh, they, they, they've they've uh, released some interesting, uh, interesting new guitars uh, this week. <laughs> How do you feel about those? Oh, I just it just drives me insane. The Murphy Lab guitars. So Gibson have released a new range of, of guitars, and they said they're not meant to be tributes to an era of guitars. I mean, there's a lot of guitars in that range of Murphy Lab guitars, but they're the most are. expensive are these late fifties Les Paul standards that are aged to be as if they're clones of the original. And they say that on their website, they say they are clones. They are not tributes. These are clones. So good for you, Gibson, for making a clone of your own guitar, (laughs) been making for 70 years. Well done. Um, Now you've found another way to justify a ridiculous price tag. I mean, I've got to say, disclosure, this is my opinion only. I'm always happy to be, you know, argued otherwise that I'm wrong. And if I am wrong... I happily admit it. But my feeling is that how can you justify that these guitars are worth what the equivalent of a small brand new car is or multiple family holidays, a deposit on a house in some areas of of this country? The the top of the range model is about £9,000. And the argument from Gibson is that it's the culmination of about 25 years worth of knowledge um, and, and practice in making historic guitars. Laser measured, chemically identical plastics, aged by this Murphy lab. And again, my, my, my kind of thought is this is all information they should already know. They're, they're doing a clone of their own guitars, aren't they? This is their own stuff. It's not like they're doing a, it's not like a rester mod car where somebody's doing a clone of something somebody else has made to make it better for the future. They're literally just trying to make something that looks and feels exactly like something old. The problem I have of it is that, you know, these are meant to be like, you know, this is the, this is, this is the pinnacle of their guitar making, the best guitars they ever made in the late fifties. In the late fifties, when they made them, they didn't know they were making what was going to be <laughs> that guitar. They discontinued no. them after a couple of years because they weren't really selling. They started making something else. And I just feel, maybe I'm just cynical about it, but I just, I just feel like Gibson are just trying to ride a train of profit to get the most out of something that they can no longer make money from because they're not selling these vintage guitars that are going for two, three hundred thousand dollars whenever they're sold. They don't own sure. them. They're not making money from them anymore. They made money from them 60 years ago. So I'm just, I'm just really, sin- I, I don't understand how they can justify £9,000. I barely understand how they can justify nearly £3,000 for that standard model when people like PRS, Music Man, John Sir, for the same money are making pieces of art. And I I just, it makes me angry because they're playing to a market of collectors and rich people that have the money to buy these things. And it's it's just anyway rant over for me. Uh, oh, I am I am loving I'm loving seeing how angry you're getting. Uh, I, I I'm not because I enjoy watching you suffer, but because of the because of the well slightly because of the passion the passion behind it. And and uh, you, you know look you put your disclaimer in there to say um, <clears throat> uh, you're happy to be proven wrong, but I don't think you can be wrong, Matt, because it's your opinion, right? It's your opinion. You're entitled to it, and. and 
and it's your perspective and your point of view and how you feel about it right and and so 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 what i would say is everyone is entitled to their opinion uh, i think ricky gervais says it quite nicely but not everyone's entitled to their their own version of the facts right that's right yeah <laughs> which is a lovely phrase that he's coined i don't know if it was his own but i've heard him say it and it, and it stuck with me so nothing that you've said there necessarily is factually incorrect in terms of uh the, the price of these guitars and what they're based on and uh and those kinds of things now the the opinion of it is is is, is how how we feel about that as as kind of gigging guitarists right so I'm a huge Gibson fan. I'm a huge Les Paul fan. I know that these guitars, uh, you know, Les Pauls can be quite a divisive instrument for some people. I speak to guitarist friends who who go, well, I don't get on with them. The necks aren't the uh, necks are too thick. The, the bodies are too heavy. The pickup selector switch is in the wrong place. I just don't get Les Pauls. Um, uh, where, and I'm in the opposite camp. I, I I I love a Les Paul, right? So so what what have we got here with 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 the with the Murphy Labs, right? We've got we've got a name, right? First and foremost, right? So Tom Murphy, arguably one of Gibson's most famous master builders, luthiers, who has created a a prestige and a name around the guitars that he touches and what he does to them, be it from a electronics perspective, but more notably now from a, a kind of uh, finishing, aging, relicking perspective. And, uh, you know, even some of the, the Murphy paint jobs where he's done the, the, the kind of sunburst on them are, are kind of noted as, oh, that's a Murphy paint job on it. Look, even before it's been, been you know, taken to with a razor blade or or, or a temperature process to, to crack the nitrocellulose on it. <clears throat> he, he he is Gibson's flagship builder. And, and quite a lot of these builders, right, at the moment fender are doing the same with some of the the crew's kind of master built stuff and their abigail yabara pickups and all this kind of stuff there is this thing now coming out of the custom shops for from these these manufacturers where there is now a prestige and a price tag associated with owning what they are now putting out on the market as the best of the best of the best of what they do and i think that's what the murphy lab stuff aspires to be this is their best you know luthier who has hand selected stuff from the custom shop anyway so it's it's not coming off a standard factory line so it's supposed to be really good and then he's applying his magic in a in a special lab with a team of dedicated people that he's trained up to make these guitars look and feel like a piece of uh, musical art history right so i get i get the i get the marketing right and and i and i in some way subscribe to it but then you look at the price tag and you go, okay, it, it, there's clearly a point of diminishing returns with a guitar and we're way past that. And now they're trying to play in the realms of like luxury items. But I don't see, I don't see the additional value that is coming from these guitars versus what I could get off a, off a, a standard custom shop, you know, historic R8 or R9. And to some extent, if you do your homework and you find the right one and even maybe do a little bit of upgrading yourself to some of the, the stock hardware or pickups, I don't see the incremental value above what you can get off the standard USA range, you know, with these guitars and and add some natural wear and tear to it yourself. I I, I must say I don't I don't see how they're justifying the extortion. Uh, this is, this is what I mean. I think they're trying to profit off this kind of mojo of the fifty nine, the fifty eight, the nineteen sixty Les Pauls that you know they left their factory, they left their ownership sixty years ago. And now they're worth something incredible. It's the thing that everyone yeah. talks about. It's the holy grail of vintage guitars. Um, and I think this is just their way of trying to continue to profit some way in that kind of romanticism of of a, a guitar they made years ago. Um, I, I completely agree. I think I think three four thousand pounds would be would be that's a reasonable price for it because it's a collector's mm. piece. It's something unique to you, and that is market value. But they're selling it for double that because. I'm just cynical that this is pure profiteering. Well, it, well, it is. It is. Let, let, let's be honest. It's 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 sitting for a very particular niche of the market, which is which is there to be exploited. And you know what? These will all sell, Matt. These will absolutely yeah, exactly. all sell. These guitars. They will. They will go to collectors and buyers. 
I don't think they'll go to gigging musicians necessarily, but if they do go to gigging musicians, it will be people that can afford to buy these, but will probably keep them keep them as as pieces for the studio or the home. Maybe maybe they'll get out and be gigged. Maybe the whole point that they're slightly relict anyway means that that, that somewhere uh, additional wear. But I mean, could you imagine taking a ten grand guitar to to a kind of function gig or a or a, a, a kind of wedding gig? I can't imagine a- getting it out of the box. <laughs> exactly. 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 Yeah. So, uh, and and the thing that the thing that makes me a little bit cross about it all is every year in recent times, Gibson and the custom shop find a way to re- revitalize and reimagine the accuracy of their flagship fifty nine fifty eight replica copy right so every year we hear oh well we've made the le- neck tenon that little bit longer now and it's more accurate than it was before or we've 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 used exactly the right composition of hide glue that we you know we've painstakingly labored over for the last few years and now it's got us even closer to the original 59 or this year we've spent you know millions and millions of dollars researching the exact plastics that were used back then and now we bring it to you in this in this version of the 59 and so and so you know, that's just classic marketing, right? And some of it will be advances in technology and they get a little bit closer every year to making these as, as close as they can to the original 58s or 59s. But this year, it, I mean, it's been a it's been a huge jump and leap in terms of price now because you've got the Murphy name attached to it and uh, him and a small team are, are doing the relicking now. Uh, even to the point where, you know, the razor blade type relicking and crackling that was done on the nitrocellulose lacquer that he was famed for for doing mm. now now they've discovered a new technique for him to do it and it's all being done by temperature changes to crack the the nitrocellulose and stuff and you just go this is this is all this is all semantics and hyperbole now it's a, it's a, it's a relic guitar um some of them i mean it's, it's ironic the ones that look even more beat up and, and broken uh cost cost <laughs> even more it's just like wow Okay, so you, fine. It's it, it's been it, it looks even more battered. I'm 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 excited though for next year, Matt, when the Murphy Lab will take it to the next level and uh, bring out a '59 Les Paul that's had its headstock snapped off and then repaired <laughs> and, and refinished by Tom Murphy. So I'm I'm looking forward to paying fifteen thousand pounds for uh, you know an accurate '59 headstock broken but Murphy Lab yeah. repaired repaired uh, guitar fresh from the custom shop I, well i, I think i think really, fender I mean, are doing the same thing aren't they i think they're doing a monterey <laughs> Jimi hendrix strap which when you open up the case it's just a pile of ash with a, with a neck kind of sat to one side <laughs> that's going to be 12 here. grand believe uh, it or not. well that's 12 grand well spent it's an investment i i love yeah. you know yeah. amazing guitars i'm a big fan of <clears throat> of gibson and fender for the, the amazing guitars they've made but i'm cynical about this because Need, I too. think I just think it's an element of profiteering. It, it is, and people will buy them, and they will keep them as investment pieces, and and good, good you know, good on them if if they can. I mean, look, I'm not I'm not trying to uh, come across as a as a as a as a dick, but if I wanted to, I could go out and buy one of these. But I won't. I will not pay that level of money for a, for a, for a guitar where I cannot see the incremental value that has been put into that guitar to make it something that much better than you know a standard custom shop guitar. As you said, you know, two three thousand pounds, four thousand dollar price range. It, it's just not worth that to me. I think Gibson are exploiting a a name in Tom Murphy and a heritage in the 59, which now, as you say, when you look at other premium guitar manufacturers, you can see where the likes of PRS and Sir are making a guitar that is quality-wise and tonewood-wise and playability-wise, starting to justify those kind of premium premium levels but you know who knows we're gonna go on a once lockdown's over we're gonna go on a um a guitar tour uh yeah uh, with the with of guitar shops with with the podcast uh and we're gonna go and try some 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 guitars out i, I dare say this will be on the list so let's watch this space and see if we uh end up 
eating our words uh, or eating some humble pie because who knows we'll, <laughs> make, well let's go and tr- let's go and try one of these uh later in the year when the guitar shops are back open and let's let's see if it really is the best les paul we have ever owned and and its price is justified it's not gonna be but anyway <laughs> let's try <laughs> I've got, and, and I've got to say as well, if, if you're a listener and and you've seen these and you really, really desire them and you think otherwise, you're not wrong. You know, like like you said earlier on, Karen, it's my opinion and I'm not wrong. I mean, the only time an, an opinion's wrong if it's demonstrably nonsense, right? And I don't think this is the case. This is pure opinion. You know, if you love these guitars and you like the look of them, you can afford them. Go buy them. I think that's. I think it's great if it if it's what you desire. But I just don't see the value. But anyway, let's put that to bed, shall we? <laughs> that was a good rant, wasn't it? I still love oh, Gibson. I, I still I feel love so much better. I feel honestly. I feel like for days I've been thinking about this thing. It's sad, isn't it? I have more important things happening in my life, but I've been like, how can you? You know, I just anyway. No, stop. Let's, let's move on. I could, I could, I could honestly keep going, yeah. but we won't. But we won't because we want to. We okay. want to talk about some other stuff today, and we will revisit this. We will revisit this in a few months' time once we've tried exactly. one of these, and and then we will see see if we if we've had our minds changed on them. But today, today we're going to talk about uh, something completely different. So to change topic and tact on this, um, you and I had an interesting chat uh, by text uh, message during the week, and we thought, oh well, let's let's talk about this on the podcast. Um, and it was uh, it was about guitarists that have influenced and inspired us, or, or just kind of helped us in terms of our approach to playing. And we thought it'd be nice to chat about that today, right? Yeah, absolutely. Our idols, our influences of the years, and there's loads of them. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's almost kind of on a daily basis these days, especially with YouTube and mm. Spotify. You can find a new person to be influenced and idolise on a daily basis, almost. I mean, yeah. over the past yeah. couple of months, I can think of Joey Landreth, Tom Quayle, Ariel Posen, um, you know, going, getting into Steve Lukather again. All, all these people uh, who who are so accessible. But I guess one of the things that, that we're thinking about is, for me, it's, there's, it's there's, there's milestone influences in my life as a guitarist. For me, there's there's three particular people who I say I think who I think I think of the most um, when I think about um, who are most important to me as an influence or as an idol. And, and there's reasons other than just the playing or the you know their output as an artist um, that are why I think they're they're so important. Um, and I guess yeah, we want to talk about when in our lives we found them, what happened to us as guitarists. Um, when we were discovering them, how we felt about guitar and why they resonate so much with us and what it is about them that we like so much. So sorry to interrupt this super interesting conversation. However, if you've made it this far, you should probably subscribe to the Guitar Smarts podcast. You can do that in your favourite podcast app. Go and do that now and then come back to the show. Let's get back to it. For me, my first idol was Eric Clapton. That mm. that was, Great. he's the artist who... Um, I still think of the most when I think of a guitarist. Um, I think he's one of the most important, arguably the most important guitarist who's who's alive today, not just um, because of his output as an artist, but what he's done for guitarists in general. Um, You know, arguably he's responsible for being the first person to plug a Les Paul into a Marshall and turn it up loud. On you know the Marshall Blue, the the Cleric Clapton and John Mayall Bluesbreakers Beano album is one of the yeah. first albums you'll ever hear that is a Les Paul burst plugged into a Marshall amp cranked. Yeah, probably his best work still to this day. But yeah, for me, Eric Clapton was the first the first real idol I had. So when I was thirteen, ninety four, ninety five, um, and just learning guitar for the first time, it was listening to his albums that were out at the time. So within like a five year period of that date, there was unplugged from the cradle, um, 24 Nights, Journeyman, those were the albums mm. he had out around mm. those times. And that's a real seminal time for him in terms of his guitar playing. His guitar playing on Unplugged is superb. His guitar playing on From the Cradle is ridiculous from a blues <laughs> playing point of view. I don't think he'd been a better guitarist than he was around then. And the same with 24 Nights. 24 Nights was a great live album because... There's a whole sweep of genres that he covers in that um, album, that live album. And there's some great guests as well, some great other musicians that, you know, you get introduced to. Um, and then Journeyman is just also some a, a bit of a pop album rather than anything else. And that's a, mm-hmm. that's a good listen. Mm-hmm. So, so that, was a, that, was, that was a real good time for me learning 
to play guitar because there's, there's so much material in that time from Clapton that is um, digestible from a guitarist's point of view as well as being good music. Um, what about you? What 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 would you, who would you say is your first big influence? It was probably Clapton as well in in terms of background in going on in my in my kind of family house growing up. Um, my my dad was a Clapton fan, and so that was probably my first foray into kind of listening and appreciating guitar based music. But that was kind of almost subliminal because of, of, of my dad's music taste. Uh, probably when I got into my teenage years, <clears throat> for me, like many uh, kids in, I, I guess, like the 80s uh, and 90s, it was it was Slash from Guns N' Roses. And he was, and I, it was, it was yes, it was the guitar playing, but it was also that kind of period of, of looking for somebody that epitomized the kind of rock and roll lifestyle there was there was nothing more rock and roll at the time than like guns and roses they were you know they were badged as the most dangerous band you know and stuff like that and it was you look back on it now and you go yeah it's a bit it's a bit of a cliche really but at the time you know they were an explosive band and i remember just idolizing the, the first first and foremost it was the guitar tone it, it kind of spoke to me that sound mm. of, a, of a les paul through a really kind of overdriven you know jcm marshall like the 800s or the silver jubilees he was using a lot in those days and that tone i mean that's just what spoke to me and i think that was a recurring theme for guitarists that i have subsequently kind of tuned into is it, it, I'm first and foremost taken back by the tone. It, 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 it moves me in some way. And then I start to look at the player and what they're playing and things. Uh, and in that regard, Slash had that and still does have that incredible tone for me, a, a great rock tone, blazing, blazing kind of licks that really kind of inspire me to play. But I would say, you know, I don't, I mean, I've seen, you know, uh, uh, him live on a number of occasions with Velvet Revolver. Uh, we actually have tickets to go and see Guns N' Roses, the, this reunion tour that was supposed to take place in the UK in 2020, but obviously because of COVID, that's been postponed and now the gig's taking place uh, next year. So I'm, I'm massively looking forward to that. Yeah, a huge, a huge influence on me. But for me as a teenager, that was somebody that was then a gatekeeper into a whole genre of music for me then to get into. His tone and his feel uh, allowed me to then explore a few different avenues, right? Because Yes, he's got this all-out rock, blazing rock tone, which then allowed me to, you know, get into different kind of rock and metal bands um, from there. You know, Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, Metallica, Pantera, all of that kind of stemmed from, you know, initially listening to, to Guns N' Roses and going, oh, well, what else could I listen to in this kind of vein that I like? But then also his blues side and his blues playing got me really interested in, okay, well, where does that come from? And that sent me in a different direction, trying to understand some of the, the, the blues bases behind his playing. So I think, I think that's why he probably was, a, was at the time a huge influence uh, on me uh, in terms of just acting as a catalyst for me to get into a whole different stream of, of rock guitarists and rock bands, but also from a very accessible point of view, listening to some of that playing and going, well, that, that's quite bluesy. And where does that come from? And you kind of, kind of explore that direction and, and end up in a totally different place. Yeah, yeah it's, nice. it's, it's a good point, isn't it? I think that's that's something that's um, that's, uh, that's similar to for, for for me in terms of um, you know the Clapton influences is, is one it's his playing, but two it's he's the genesis point for me of he's not Genesis, he's not <laughs> Phil Collins and Tony. And, and what I mean is he's the he's the he's that kind of um, you know he's the he's the patient zero, you know of. <laughs> You know, of all the other influences that I have, you know, it's not that I, all the other key influences for me arguably are in a family tree that he's the top of, you know, he's that gatekeeper, like you said, of he's the host of so many other influences that you kind of go out and search for. That's um, it. <clears throat> and I'm sure that's, that's the same for anyone. I mean, anybody who's listening now, you, you might have entirely different influences, um, but you, you're bound to have that one person or that one artist that was the one that made you start listening. And I'm sure it's still now you could trace everybody else you've ever listened to back to that that person somewhere or another. It is very much like a 
you know, a, a family tree. It is. It's like, it's, <clears throat> or it's like that kind of the degrees of separation between that artist and the ones that came before them, right? Because some of these are, like for Clapton, you kind of read his autobiography and what he was inspired by and what he listens to. And then you go, well, <clears throat> Clapton was that kind of gatekeeper for you and, and, and to some extent for me as well. Mm -hmm very mm -hmm. much so and you listen to all of his back catalogue and then you go well i need something more as well now and i need to, and i want to understand where what inspired his playing and so then you go back to some of the blues greats and you start listening to robert johnson and you start listening to all these guys and you go uh -huh. and muddy waters i understand where this kind of stuff uh influenced his playing so you know these individuals that we're naming it's 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 really interesting to kind of look at them as artists in their own right. But then that was the conversation we were having during the week, which is quite, quite a kind of uh, an interesting one when you unpick it and you go, well, yes, there were influences on our playing, but of a time and of a moment that then allowed us to go and explore and discover all these other artists that then, you know, became influencing uh, forces in our playing in their own right. Who would you say is your second largest influence or, or not so necessarily second largest influence or second most important but like one of the things that that we're talking about here is it influences an important idols through our through our through our life you know because they don't just come at once at the beginning for me it's been there's been waves of important guitarists and artists who's who's, who's next Definitely. on the list so if, if, if Slash for me was kind of in my teenage years and into my kind of, yeah, yeah, late teenage years, <clears throat> I would say then into my kind of 20s, I was really starting to get into blues. And for me, that was Stevie Ray. That was my kind of Stevie Ray period. And of course, that's a, that's a, a, a massively obvious choice and name for many guitarists, right? And there's good reason for that because... The guy had monstrous tone, blazingly fast playing, but emotive playing. And uh, that came across and that spoke to me in, 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 in kind of watching him. And again, I still, I think I really liked that, that kind of image and legendary kind of status that was, you know, formed around him. You know, he was the guy that played on a, on a strap with a set of 13s and, you know, did an inordinate amount of, of drugs and, and still played like that. And you kind of, you know, you, you buy I, or at least I did, I bought into this whole kind of magic around Stevie Ray and not that I'm, you know, advocating drug use or anything like that. But it's just kind of, it's just kind of like you go, who is this guy that is just got this such interest and complex and, and troubled life and and yet plays like this and yeah so uh that really kind of allowed me as an access point to get into the blues <clears throat> more but then as we just spoke about go okay well who influenced stevie ray right where did he get this sound from where did he get this playing from and then you go ah okay, Albert King and, you know, Jimi Hendrix and all of these other people. And that's, that's when I started to get into these people. And, I, I, you know, I'd heard Hendrix stuff before, but it didn't really kind of <clears throat> speak to me in that same way. But it wasn't until I then went back and listened to Hendrix after having listened to Stevie Ray for a while, uh, or indeed same with Albert King. And you go, ah, I get it now. And I, and I appreciated it in a different way. So, so yeah, you know, a massively obvious choice for me there with, with Stevie Ray. But I think it's again about the way in which it then spurred me on to learn more about where, where his sound comes from and uh, yes, appreciate him as an artist in his own right, but then also understand his influences and, and how he developed his sound and, and style. But how about, how about you? Who, who was, who was your next biggest kind of uh, force after Clapton? Well, that, so I'd say probably Derek Trucks, um, but that happened quite a lot, a long time after, mm. you know, um, I mean, he's still a relatively young guitarist. Um, and I'd say I was probably in my mid-twenties when I learned about Derek Trucks. The thing that Derek Trucks opened up for me was the idea of this multi-genre capability as a guitarist, um, you know, who had a unique sound, just immediately recognisable as a guitarist. Mm -hmm. One of the first times I'd heard somebody... Uh, since you know, S you know, SRV and Clapton and people like that, those those older guys. One of the first times I'd heard somebody who was of, I guess, my generation, uh, who had such a unique and recognisable guitar sound uh, and playing style, with with just seemingly infinite capability as a guitarist as well. I mean, he's arguably the greatest slide guitar player of all time. Oh, um, incredible! 
but he's an incredible, uh, you know, um, fingerstyle guitarist as well. Fingerstyle, you know, as in not playing slide. Incredible uh, normal guitar. <laughs> normal guitar. He's just an incredible all-round guitarist. But he's almost a fusion guitarist because, you know, he's a brilliant blues guitarist, brilliant rock guitarist. He can do any style at all. He's almost stealth-like in his ability. Listening to him play is like listening to Aretha Franklin sing. You know, it's not the same as just another guitarist playing licks. He, he sings through his guitar. And I just found that amazing listening to him um, for the first time. And the first time I heard him was probably, it was a the Derek Trucks Band live album. And I can't remember what, what, what the live album was called off the top of my head now. But it's, it's just a... There's this song on it called For My For My Brother, which is it's about an eleven minute long song and half of it is him soloing. And it's just endless fury on the guitar and just beautiful guitar playing. And uh, I just I still haven't heard, you know, guitar playing like it. I think those guitarists out there that um, you know, you could say you could never take Clapton, you know, you can say such a person sounds like Stevie Ray. Philip Sage, for example, you know, great guitarist. For me, he's a little bit too much of a Stevie Ray tribute, you know, in his sound. He's obviously wears that on his sleeves, incredible artist, but he's very Stevie Ray influenced. And at Clapton, you can hear Freddie King and BB in Clapton's playing. Mm. You can hear mm. all these influences. Whereas for me, Derek Trucks sounds almost, you know, you can't imitate him. He's, he sounds like him. He's almost completely unique in his sound. And that's why for me, he's one of, you know, my other, you know, biggest influences because he's just so unique. That's a really that's a really good point, and I think uh, yeah, I mean, I really like uh, Derek Trucks as well. I really like. I went. I had the pleasure of going and watching uh, Tedeschi Trucks just that just before we went into lockdown. I think it was the time is I've lost all track of time, but yeah, it was the last last uh, live gig I went to before lockdown in in London, and uh, yeah, incredible incredible player, it really was, and you know I was blown away by Susan Tedeschi as well. And as you say, he has that melodic vocal gospel phrasing to his playing, which just, it's arresting to listen to because it is, it is different. It is unique. And there are other players now that are starting to, uh, to kind of integrate that into their playing in a way that my ear is now tuned into. But Derek Trucks was the, was the gatekeeper for me to understand and listen to that sound first and go, huh, I've never heard a guitarist been able to affect that style so beautifully on a on a guitar with 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 his slide playing. So yeah, yeah, yeah really, absolutely. Really he's he's just he's just incredible. So if you've never heard Derek Trucks play guitar, um, he's as you said, he's part of the Tedeschi Trucks band, um, but he's also you know part of the Derek Trucks band, which I don't think has played for about ten years. But um, go and check out some of the some of their albums. Songlines is an amazing album. Any of the Derek Trucks live albums, um, songs from the road, uh, things like that, are just just fantastic songs. Just a killing band, but his guitar playing is just arresting, like you said. It really is just an unbelievable, really, really amazing. So let's move on to the last one. And I think we share this one, don't we? We do, we do. I don't know if for, if for the same reasons, but both of us uh, have uh, got, a, got a real, you know, fondness and a place in our kind of influencer uh, kind of history with, with John Mayer. And we've had the pleasure of going to watch him live on a, on a few occasions uh, and come away really, you know, inspired uh, by him as a guitarist. And again, I think another uh, kind of classic choice, right? But for, for me, it's he's somebody that embodies great, great guitar playing, um, but encompasses and spans a number of different genres and styles and challenges himself and reinvents himself in different ways. Some of which I'm a fan of, some of which I go... I kind of prefer the the other the other stuff you did, but I think you know, uh, respect to, to to an artist that can that can constantly challenge and push himself in those kind of different ways, and again as a gatekeeper for discovering other artists uh, and 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 listening to what influenced him. Now, obviously, he's heavily influenced by Stevie Ray, and that clearly comes across in his playing. But you know, embarrassingly, uh, I kind of, I kind of say he was the person that turned me on to listening to more BB King, and I say embarrassingly because I was listening to John Mayer so so much more latterly in my or more recently in my you know uh, years that 
I should have been into BB King much more deeply than 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 you know uh, relying on John Mayer to access that that for me. And but that's that's you know again another reason why I, I like John Mayer as a, as a player because he's allowed me to access other. Uh, artists that I wasn't listening to in, as intently as I, I perhaps should have been, but but listening to his playing has 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 enabled me to do that. And uh, yeah, and he's just a monstrous guitarist. That technique wise, I look at and some of the the kind of inversions and stuff that he does with his with his um, kind of fretting hand. You just look at it and you just go, I can't, I can't even do stretches like that. That's just insane. But there's something quite inspiring about about that uh as a as a player and he's taught me a lot about kind of rhythmic playing as well and you know he's 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 just has got a real solid groove um in some of the stuff that he plays which i think has been been really beneficial for me to try and um steal bits of to to kind of influence and improve my playing um what uh, how about how about you with with john mayer what kind of was the thing that made your ears prick up when you heard him? Well, uh, um, the first the first thing I heard of his was his first album, Room for Squares, which is much more of a kind of an acoustic pop album. You know, well, not acoustic pop only, but it's much more of a pop album. Uh, still some great guitar playing in there. Uh, but I got into that album around the time that he released Continuum. So I kind of mm. discovered mm. Room for Squares. Oh, I like this. What else is there? Oh, he's just released Continuum. And Continuum for me was like the Clapton unplugged of my adult life. You know, I, I often refer to Mayer as the Clapton influence of my adult life because whereas Clapton was the one that made me say to my parents, I want to learn how to play guitar. John Mayer, for me, when I was in my mid-twenties, was the person who I listened to and thought, I want to I want to get back into playing guitar again because I was probably playing guitar the least around that time in my mid-twenties. He's very much that kind of second impetus in, in my guitar playing. But the thing I like the most about him is he's kind of the torchbearer for for that kind of earlier generation of guitarists. You know, as we said, you know, the, the, those people that started things off, he he's able to apply that style of guitar playing to his pop sensibilities and still make really relevant and popular music now whilst, you know, we can, as guitarists, still listen and go, okay, he's doing a BB King thing there. <laughs> and I really <laughs> yeah. like the way yeah. that he does that, the way that he's always been a champion for, for his idols while still creating very relevant and, uh, you know, popular music today. And and he's a great guitarist. And that goes mm. without saying, he's a he's a very muscular guitarist. <laughs> I don't mean physically. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he's playing always sounds so... You just in a similar way, Stevie Ray Vaughan was so intense. His guitar playing always sounded so immediate and you know muscular. I, I don't know how else to describe. That's the way it is to be. Clapton's was always a little bit more, you know, the woman tone, and it was always a little bit more kind of exactly. velvety. I know, <laughs> you know. I get you. I get. I get, get you. I'm saying. sure any guitarist understands what I'm saying, but I, I find it you know hard to describe. But yeah, that's the thing I like about Mayer. Is he's kind of that um, very inspiring listening to him play. Yeah, there's an intensity that comes across in his playing uh, that that makes it feel kind of effortless, and that translates in, in, into the listener. You can you can hear that. Where I agree with you, like when you listen to Clapton, and to some extent Derek Trucks until until he's really ripping into a solo, it's it is that more kind of velvety um, kind of just riding in sympathy with the music. Whereas there's a disruptive nature to to some of the playing that 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 Mayer has when he really digs in. It's kind of arresting. Uh, so I understand what you seem to say yeah. when you say muscular. <laughs> muscular. Uh, I don't, I just I don't think to, he's ripped. I, I just tried to bail you out from sounding as homoerotic as, as you were. I mean, uh, <laughs> do, you, do you feel like when he's singing Your Body is a Wonderland, he's singing just to you? <laughs> <Don't> stop <laughs> it. Uh, he's, a great, he's, he's a great, he's a great, he's a great, great player. Uh, but, you know, do you know the, the thing that interests me about this is, and, and you've said it as well, Matt, is there are so many people that kind of influence our playing. And now with YouTube and the access that you have to, to, to stumbling upon these new artists, it's, it's, it's kind of mind blowing every day, how many talented people there are out there making music. And, you know, I mean, I'm influenced on a daily basis by like loads of different people now. Um, but I think the ones that we've mentioned are a really good, you know, hall of fame in terms of our, our life of, of playing guitar thus far. And, 
and not just because they're amazing players in their own right, but they've they've kind of inspired us to kind of keep pushing our own playing, and they've and they've also acted as gatekeepers for us to discover new artists that influence them, and and that's how you kind of build up this kind of this kind of uh, sensibility and, and ear for different musicians. You know, I think I, I, I don't know who I don't know who, who who stated it, but I think there's this this kind of sensibility around either having so many influences that you can't count them to inform your playing or, or having none none at all and you know there there are a few great guitarists that are able to have no influences at all and just have their own complete unique style developed on their own in in, in a little vacuum Mo- most of us love to steal and borrow and, and and pinch little ideas from loads of different people and that's where you hopefully then develop your own style and and kind of feel uh, and and I lo- and I love getting nicking ideas from different people and, and and borrowing a lick and working it into my playing. It's it's really rewarding. And maybe to us, we listen to ourselves play and we think, oh, I just sound like Clapton or Stevie Ray or John Mayer. But to somebody else listening, they they hear us. Maybe maybe that's for other people to enjoy rather than ourselves. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm just glad yeah, we've well, managed to get through a podcast without mentioning Steve Luke. Oh. <laughs> oh, he's done it. He's done it. He's done it. He's done it again. Yeah. Uh, well, if we, if we were to re- record this podcast uh, again in the future, I, I think. <laughs> Matt, could you tell me uh, some of the influences, uh, you know, that, that you had during the, the lockdown period? Yeah, well, what, who, are your, who are your top top three? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Steve Lukather, yeah. Steve Lukather, and Steve Lukather. Steve Lukather, <laughs> Solo, Toto, and yeah. Los Lobotomy. That's yeah. it. <laughs> Isn't that the same person, Matt? I don't know. Yeah, it is. <laughs> What are you going to do about it? <laughs> uh, no, great chat. And look, hopefully yeah, for, too, for our listeners, uh, that's given some people some uh, maybe additional uh, uh, places to go and look for inspiration. And um, it'd be really interesting to hear from from our listeners as to, as to who inspires them and, and who they love listening to. But yeah, really, really interesting chat today, Matt. Um, just a quick question before we before we wrap it up. You've been trying out some some different strings and things. Uh, well, on your on your on your strap, how have, how have you how have you got on uh, this? Yeah, this really last good. Week? So so going back, obviously a, a couple of months to when we did our guitar car one on one, the eight steps, and you mentioned about guitar strings, and we I think we also later on a different podcast had a discussion about how different string materials can change your sound. And um, a quick run through. So that what I did, I stopped using Ernie ball slinkies i still think they're great i just wanted to experiment with others the first one i tried was a set of pure nickel tens from kurt mangan and and those were just superb they darkened the sound of the strat a little bit that ice picky kind of tone on the bridge pickup was gone it was more manageable um so that was good they definitely they felt like they had a little bit more of a consistent tension across the set of strings which made for a more comfortable feel um, so, so I really like those. I've currently got a set of Roto Sound uh, tens on there as well, which yeah. are kind of they feel more like a slinky, but mm-hmm. with a little, uh, a slightly darker, more rounded sound. I feel mm-hmm. you mentioned mm-hmm. that they're a really good kind of reference set of strings, and I really see that. I really feel that when I'm playing them. I feel like this is a good all rounder for everything. And then next, I'm, I've got a set of Daddario stainless steels, which are these are about the brightest sounding strings apparently you can get so i'm going to try those soon and uh, and see how we get on but i'm really enjoying experimenting with with different strings and um who knows what i'll end up on but yeah it's cool yeah good i'm, I'm glad you've kind of been able to uh experiment with the differences in materials on those strings and, and kind of hear them for yourself really interesting i mean it's not a scientific experiment and we're definitely not endorsed by any of these manufacturers but it, i think it's just a, a fun thing to play around with the actual different material properties of strings and seeing how that affects the, ch- the tone on your guitar um i'm definitely keen to put a set of nines on this uh harley benton that i've been playing with this week <clears throat> i've had tens on it and it and, and it sounds wonderful but uh i've reset up and re uh, balance the trem on it and i'm trying to do some more of these kind of sambora licks for the first time in my life and play some some fast stuff on it and, and tens <laughs> tens are killing me so i it's going to get a set of nines this week and uh i'm going to finish learning that solo and then figure out something else to challenge myself with so that's amazing that's my week ahead <laughs> enjoy it dude and i will see you on the flip side yeah Have a that's week. great Cheers, Matt. Lovely to speak to you. You too, next week. Speak to you soon. All All the best, Take it easy. Cheers, mate. Well, that was another super fun conversation. I really hope you enjoyed it. Remember to come over to our social media pages, tell us what you think, um, ask us some questions. 
come and say hello or anything at all share some information with us give us ideas for podcasts that you'd like to hear and subjects that you'd like to hear us talk about in the future and uh brilliant thanks very much for joining us and we'll speak to you again soon take care bye bye